Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. Today, Pastor Paul and Pastor Ryan preach a sermon together on 1 Timothy chapter 4, continuing a legacy series with the title of Knowing and Living. Let's listen in. Pastor Ryan's going to join me this morning as we jump into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I encourage you to open your Bible and join me there if you, if you will. Uh, let me... Just start with a couple of housekeeping items, a couple of things I wanted to make you aware of. Every Thursday at 6 a.m., I pray with anybody who wants to pray with me via Zoom. That link goes out on our uh, church prayer text thing, and you can sign up for it with the instructions that are on the screen right now. So if you look uh, text prayer to that phone number, you will get those early morning Thursday invitations. You probably want to set an alarm before because it'd be a like be a quick turnaround from 5:55 when those go up. <laughs> uh, so hope that uh, you sign up for that. Join join me praying on on Thursday mornings. I wanted to uh, let folks know that we're doing a um, a lunch for folks who are newer to the church, if you've been attending the church for a while and you don't know what it's all about, or if this is your very first Sunday and you are interested in knowing more about this place that you've ended up, we are going to have lunch right here in the fellowship hall after the service, and uh, some of our pastoral staff will be around. We'll be sharing information about the church, and we'll be talking about what, who we think we are. That's what I, I say, is who do we think we are? Uh, and so, Love to have anybody join us that has interest in knowing who do we think we are around here. And then we have been collecting over the last several months, or not several months, the last month or so for crisis care kits. And we collected a bunch of stuff. Thank you for your generosity. We assembled 50 crisis care kits with what was given. That's incredible. Thank you. We have stuff. So like we just had people bring soap or toothbrushes or things. And so we ended up with quite a few uh, partial crisis care kits. And we thought maybe some people with all that's happening in the world these days, crisis care kits are being used all over everywhere the Church of the Nazarene is where there are people in crisis and and there are considerable crises these days in our world. And so if folks wanted to just respond uh, by, by giving generously, by helping to finish those crisis care kits, the bits and pieces are out in the foyer and after church. Someone from our, our NMI council, our missions council, will be out there to give you instructions and you can take whatever bits and pieces you want to finish a crisis care kit or two. I encourage you to do that. It's just a response of gratitude to God. If, if that would help you as you respond to God in gratitude. I thought this morning, uh, this I wasn't around last week, uh, last Saturday there was an incredible terrorist attack in Israel, and, and I thought maybe, just maybe, people would be interested in, in talking about that and hearing about that. And I'll just be honest with you, um, I don't have lots of clarity on, on things uh, Israel-related. But here's what I, here's, okay, so the big question I think is, people, people hear like war in the Middle East and automatically we want to say, is Jesus coming back right away? It's the end times. Is it the end times? And, and I can say to that a definitive, I don't know. <laughs> Very definitively, I don't know. Every time it seems like for two millennia that there has been conflict and war in the Middle East, people have thought, here it is, liquidate your your 401k, and uh, here it is, right? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, here's, Here's some things that I can say with some certainty. When I read scripture, I understand and believe that God has not finished the work that God began through the descendants of Jacob in particular in the book of Genesis. That group of people that went into captivity in in Egypt and came out and was formed a nation of escaped slaves and entered into the promised land. Uh, You know, the religion that Moses established through, through this ethnic group. I believe with all my heart from reading scripture 
there is something special in God's plan for those people, for people who trace their, their heritage back to that. I don't think you can read, you know, I'm not going to say that. I read scripture and that's what I understand. The other thing I can say with, with full certainty is that we have been instructed as believers, Jesus told his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus instructed us to pray that, that Jesus would do what Jesus promised he'd do, which is return and fully establish on earth his kingdom. We are called to do that. That doesn't change regardless of what's happening with the current geopolitical situation. The other thing I'm just convicted of and, and certain that believers and, and soft-hearted Nazarenes feel the same is you cannot look at the news this week and not pray and cry, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on this world. And may peace come quickly. Um, that's what I know. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think the only thing I would add is um, we know that Christ is alive and well, right? Amen. He's on the throne. Amen. Uh, we also know that there is a great deceiver who is trying to steal and kill and destroy. And he is also alive and well. So the amount of misinformation that's going all over the internet about what's going on in Israel, the amount of blame being cast in either direction, whatever, um, I think as, as followers of Christ, it's neither here nor there for us to jump in and say, I'm behind this, I'm behind that, I'm, you know, based on what's in social media, based on what's on the news, uh, because the deceiver is working right now, and he is trying to bring disunity in a place where God wants unity. So we pray. We say we don't know, uh, and we say that God does know, and that's good. Uh, it is good that God knows, and we just continue to pray. We pray for uh, his mercy. We pray for peace, uh, and we try not to jump in on the things that we just have no knowledge of or no real understanding of, but pray. It's the best thing we can do. Yeah. The very best thing, the most profitable thing. What an apt introduction to First Timothy chapter 4. <laughs> what an apt introduction as we look at this chapter that uh, we've, we've been going through First Timothy this fall, and we've, we've come to this letter that is a, a letter from the Apostle Paul, later in his life, to his, his kind of heir apparent, his, one of his key disciples, Timothy. And Timothy was a man who was appointed by the, by the church and by Paul to go to the city of Ephesus and, and oversee the church in Ephesus. And so Paul has been writing, wrote this letter, kind of late in life, thinking about legacy issues, thinking about this church that he established, and about one of his, like, bosom brothers, you know, one of his closest, closest guys that, to him throughout his ministry. And Paul is giving, giving key instructions to Timothy through this letter. And, and so this chapter that we come to today in chapter four is a little bit of a, of a transition chapter in the course of the letter. Chapters one and two, no, chapters two and three really dealt with some specific leadership issues, specifically the roles of leadership that Timothy was establishing in the congregation in Ephesus, how people were going to be appointed and the type of people that were going to be appointed to lead the church. Paul is going to deal with more household and personal issues through the rest of the letter, but this chapter is particularly focused on Timothy, and it's particularly focused on Timothy and some of the challenges that Timothy was dealing with the church in Ephesus. And, and so Paul begins chapter 4 by addressing a heresy that he's already talked about, a false teaching that was alive and well in the church in Ephesus. And, and he's going to, to try to talk to Timothy about his, his role in addressing that, that heresy and really the way Timothy's life should look in, in contrast to the, the false teaching that was happening there. Because as we look at chapter 4, we begin to see this, this pattern. Paul has no, no good things to say about the false teachers and the heresy that was happening 
in, in Ephesus. Paul, Paul, like, he doesn't trust those people as far as he can throw them. And he just, he has no love lost for, for the false teachers. And meanwhile, Paul doesn't maybe expect Timothy to walk on water, but boy, he's got some high expectations for Timothy. He's got some things to say to Timothy. These are, these are like pretty, pretty important things. And, and Timothy seems to be, like, is assumed to be capable of carrying on, like, the good teaching and the good things in the face of the false teachers that are, are trying to spread their, their message in Ephesus. So why don't we jump into it? I'm going to read the first five verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, I'm just going to read from the New Living Translation. It's uh, on the screen in front of you if you'd like to follow along there or in your own Bible, however you brought it. 1 Timothy for one through five, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by uh, faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Okay, boy, there is so much in this chapter. This, I, I was, as Ryan and I were talking this morning, there's probably, there's 16 verses and there's probably 25 sermons in this chapter. Uh, and, and so, verse 1a, uh, it's a sermon all on its own. Paul says, uh, the Holy Spirit clearly tells us that in the last time these false teachers are going to be, be rising up in the church. Ooh, and, and he goes on to describe these, these false teachers, these heretics that have, have uh, taken, taken some authority and, and appeared in Ephesus. And, and what really calls out to me in this is the way that Paul says, we know the Spirit clearly tells us, like we, we know. Remember, this is before some of the letters that comprise the New Testament are, had been written at this point, and maybe even some of the Gospels had been written at this point, because this is pretty late in Paul's life, but they weren't authoritative to the church. They, they were being passed around. They weren't like scripture for the church, the way that we consider them. They were, they were being passed around and, and helping people out, but, you know, the way that God was speaking to the church, Paul talks about the Spirit clearly speaking to the church that is super fascinating to me. Paul, Paul has this whole understanding of the Spirit speaking to the church in, in very authoritative ways that seem very mysterious to us, seems very mysterious to me. Uh, because Paul, Paul talks about, like in Galatians, he talks about, I only teach what I received from Jesus himself. Paul and Jesus never met face-to-face -face during Jesus's life. And so Paul had this, this clear connection with Jesus that, I, I, I love the Lord, and, and I think God speaks to me, but I, I can't say that, like, in our meetings, the Holy Spirit has shown up in such a way that we can say, we clearly know the Holy Spirit tells us, especially something as specific as, there will be false teachers before the end times. This is, this is incredibly, like, the way Paul says it, he says that we know the Spirit has spoken to us. It's in the way that we sometimes say, Scripture clearly says to us. And I hope that we don't say that lightly. I hope we never lightly say, Scripture clearly teaches us. Because we ought to understand, like, Scripture comes to us, it, it's so complex, and it is so rich, and it is so interpreted through history as, as it arrives to us. I think we need to be careful when, as believers, we say the, those words like Scripture clearly says. I say that sometimes, and so in the back of my mind, I think, Lord, help me to say what clear, Scripture clearly says when I say that, because that, that is like, those are strong words, right? Those are strong words. And here Paul is. The Spirit has clearly told us 
that these false teachers are, are going to come up. And so I guess, I guess I think this is a special period in church history when God was speaking very clearly to, to the church, but I sure don't want to say that means the Spirit doesn't speak today, right? So that's just like a really fact. I would love to be a fly on the wall in a, in a New Testament church gathering and, and see what it's like that they can say the Holy Spirit teaches us. Yeah, I, and I look at uh, 1B. I mean, we've got 16 verses. We're yeah. only in A and B. <laughs> um, and and it, it's what I was just saying about what's going on in Israel. It, it says, uh, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And we think of this like this uh, like demonic teaching, like a pastor's going to stand up and start teaching uh, this overpowering thing. But the devil is sneaky, right? Um, we will hear things that sound good. They sound really good, but they're not of Scripture. We'll hear cliche sayings. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be getting misdirected uh, to focus on things that we shouldn't be focusing on that really don't have any weight on our salvation or uh, how we would introduce Jesus to someone else. Um, it, it's sneaky it, to, to have the power of wondering the Holy Spirit talking to the church and speaking to the church in such a way that the church knows. But also this, the second part of this verse, to not just say, well, I haven't heard anything demonic lately, so there must not be any misdirection going on. Uh, no, there's sneaky stuff. I mean, Paul's addressing food. Right. You know, and... It, I think it's interesting to, to dig into this. Uh, I really love that this really just shows uh, this legacy that Paul has with Timothy. Uh, now you're in the thick of things. Now I want to focus on you, Timothy, and there's some things that you ought to be careful about um, standing up in front of the church uh, and being cautious about the words that we use. Uh, we don't want to be timid right, about the things that the Holy Spirit asks us to say, but at the same time, we want to be certain that we're not speaking our own truth, we're speaking God's truth, we're speaking His Word, uh, so that, that balance of hearing from the Holy Spirit and not getting distracted by things that may sound good or may sound like they're, they're not really that important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so Paul saying this, that the, the Spirit has clearly taught us that or to, told us that we can expect false teachers to rise up in the church, it it creates conflict or it creates a contrast, I guess, a contrast between the false teachers and Timothy, just sort of implicitly. And and if you were to read the rest of the chapter, which we will in just a little bit, you'll see it almost explicitly the contrast between the false teachers and and Timothy because. The false teachers were, the Spirit had clearly told us that false teachers were going to rise. Well, Timothy is someone over whom the church has prayed and there has been prophecy about Timothy that he is going to rise up and be someone in the church. He, Paul mentions it earlier in the letter and he mentions it here in chapter 4. So this, this contrast, this interesting contrast, we shouldn't be surprised that there's false teachers cropping up, but God has sent us messengers like Timothy to help protect us. And, and maybe, maybe there is some comfort in, in this for us uh, because what I see here is not every promise in Scripture, not every word that Jesus spoke to his disciples was like a comforting word. The Christian faith, like it doesn't, promise mansions and luxury cars in this life. The, the Christian faith, the, the Bible says, like, in this world you will have trouble. And, and uh, if you're looking for the Instagram perfect life, the Christian faith may not offer all of the, the, the support for that that you're hoping. It may not be the answer to the Instagram perfect life. The, the Christian life, like Jesus told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. 
the cross, by the way, that's a, a means of execution. Jesus is not promising ease. Jesus says, here I am, your master and authority, and I take the form of a servant among you. You should do the same. We, we just, we aren't promised a bed of roses. But, <laughs> with every, every promise of trial and difficulty, comes another promise that, like what Jesus said at the very end, his last words to his disciples was, oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Uh, when, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, in, in Romans chapter 8, he talks about all the things that are going wrong for the Romans, the way that they're being persecuted to the point of death, the way that they are hungry, the way that they're experiencing uh, famine and nakedness, the way that they are attacked by demons. And Paul says, realize all of that is happening, but none of it separates you from the love of God. You're not promised the Instagram perfect life, but you are promised the presence of God with you to comfort you when your kids don't obey, when there's sickness in your life, when you're frustrated at work and you don't think you can show up another day. You are promised the presence of God with you. Sorry, that was, that was verse one. That was verse one. <laughs> I think, you know, as, as we keep talking about this, um, I, I look at the beginning of this chapter as uh, a warning of sorts to Timothy, but to us as well, uh, that the things, when we're speaking about hearing from the Holy Spirit, we're speaking about uh, false teachers and maybe being led astray, um, that our doctrine, our, our beliefs matter in our everyday life. Uh, they are important. And if we have a, a poor understanding of our theology, we're going to have a really shaky foundation that will come and go with the slightest breeze. And uh, to be prepared for the false teaching, it, of course it's going to be there. You know, scripture tells us it's going to be there. Yeah. But to take heart to know that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to work with us. Um, it's going to say it a little later, but it, it's work. The, the Christian faith is work. Yeah. It's just not something we can uh, come on a Sunday morning and say, I've, I've had an hour of some good preaching, and I will flourish the rest of the week because of that hour of preaching that I just sat and listened to. Um, no, it's what we're seeing all throughout this letter, and now here, this, this relationship between Paul and Timothy uh, really is coming to a point, a culmination of a mentor and a mentee, and he is giving good information to him, and he is reminding him who he's called to be. He's prophesied over, he's prayed over, he is a leader in the church. These are the things that are going to happen. It's so important for us to dig in in that same way. Uh, to look at this maybe from a discipleship or a, a mentor legacy type of thing, who who is speaking to us in this way that we trust? Who is speaking to us this way beyond a Sunday sermon, right. which is good? Um, who's speaking into us? Who can we ask questions to? Uh, who can we trust that won't, won't lead us astray? Uh, and what do we need to do to get into that work to, to continue the growth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, to preach more than one verse, uh, we... We look at the, the false teaching that's happening. Paul mentioned specifically that they, they were teaching it wasn't right to get married and that you shouldn't eat certain foods. He, he doesn't address marriage at all here. He's going to address marriage later on in the letter. He talks about food, and, and Paul's interesting thing about food. Paul, food was an issue in the early church, and usually it's over food sacrificed to idols, meat sacrificed to idols. But here, Paul doesn't mention that at all. Paul talks just about food that is created. God created food. It's good. You know, the, as a kid, they say what? Uh, God made dirt. Dirt don't hurt. What's that? It, it never hurt me. So we, uh, <laughs> food, the, the food that God created is, is for our good. And, and I, 
I don't know how much we should extrapolate from this idea that like everything created by God is good for us. Um, when we talk about food, though, we're reminded creation is good. God created the physical for our for our enjoyment. God like God created the pears. Have you had a good pear yet this fall? Oh man, when a good pear is just sweet and juicy and it just melts in your mouth, I love pears. They are, that was created for you to enjoy because, because God loves you and he wanted you to enjoy your food. Like that, isn't that great? That's pretty great. So the false teachers were saying, uh, probably saying something along the lines of either this specific food, you really need to watch out for that. That's going to cause problems for you. That's going to ruin your spirit. Or they were saying, uh, you know, these things that God have, has created, this is what Timothy is supposed to teach against. Like, these things that God created, even though they are good, they're not good for you. Uh, you need to avoid these things, these good things that God created, uh, because they're not good for you. And go ahead. <laughs> My example, I, so the teens, you, you probably, I don't know if you understand this. Uh, you may, and if you don't understand it, you're going to ask your parents about this analogy afterwards, okay? When I, when I came into the Church of the Nazarene, I was about fifth or sixth grade, and uh, uh, my family grew up, it wasn't about food, it wasn't about pears, okay? But my family grew up, we played lots of games, and I grew up in the Methodist Church first, and then we moved to the Nazarene Church. So when we moved to the Nazarene Church, uh, I had this long-standing history, even though I was only like, you know, 11 years old, uh, of playing lots of games, like with my grandparents, playing cards, and that's one of my grandfather's favorite things to do. And when I got to the Nazarene Church and started hanging out with the middle schoolers and the youth group, and uh, let's play some games, and they looked at me really strange. Uh, and you guys don't play card games? No, we, we're, we don't play card games. Does, it, does anybody remember that? Um, <laughs> You, you may remember that if you're a long-standing Nazarene, uh, or if maybe if you, you, you haven't been part of that. Uh, there's a game called Rook. Does anybody remember Rook? Which was just a human way of getting around the no cards thing for the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, so uh, to me, I, I came into the church going, I, I, I love playing games around the table with my grandparents, with my family, you know. And then all of a sudden, it became a thing that was being kind of taught in our Sunday school because I brought it up. You know, if we're going to have a youth activity, let's play some games. Uh, we don't play those kind of games. Why do we not play those kind of games? You know, and I, and I never understood. Uh, and I think that's just an example of sometimes it's, it's okay. You know, sometimes those things, sometimes they can maybe go a little too far. Sometimes we, as humans, we find a way around it and we create a new game with cards. Um, but all of it is distracting. That distracted me for a time in my life as a young adult as to why that mattered in my relationship with Jesus, you know. Uh, it wasn't until I became older that I understood, man, there are things like cards. Cards can lead to gambling. Gambling can lead to a lot of debt and issues and addictions and things like that. There are things that we, it's good for us to learn to to use in moderation or to stay away from because of what might be. Uh, but to be careful about those things and food. I've never had a, I've never had a problem with food. So, well, let's uh, let's continue looking at what Paul says to Timothy specifically. He's he's set up this this uh, false teaching, and then he's going to come in with with this contrast that he wants to create between the false teachers and Timothy himself. And so we're going to read the rest of the chapter for you. Do you mind reading it? Sure. It's actually, I think I wrote some places, First Timothy 4 verses 6 through 15, but I think it, there's actually 16 verses in the chapter. So there may not, I may have messed that up for I've got, all, I've got all 16. Okay, so, so yeah, I hope we have it all. Um, we do. Okay. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, go ahead. I, I'll read from the NLT as well. First uh, Timothy chapter four, starting at verse six. It says this: If you explain, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. 
Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Uh, be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live on, and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Well, that passage that Ryan just read, it begins with this really interesting conditional phrase. Uh, it's this, if, if you teach these things, you will be a worthy, a worthy uh, servant of the Lord. And, and it's interesting, Paul, Paul really very clearly says, Timothy, your role in the church is to teach. And, and so, teaching is what makes you worthy. Teaching is, is what, what is expected of you, and, and it is what, what you are called to do. And, and then he gets very quickly into the specific kind of teaching and training that, Paul, that Timothy is supposed to do in the church in Ephesus. And, and he says, you know, don't engage with the time wasters who just want to talk about myths and wives' tales. And, and you know, we, we delved a little bit a few weeks ago into what maybe was the false teaching that happened in Ephesus. It seemed like maybe they were taking some of the Old Testament stories and genealogies, those lists of names, and they were trying to make make more out of them than was actually there. And they were, they were creating all of these stories. And Paul really just says, like, it just doesn't help. It just doesn't help you live a life of godliness. And so, stop. Don't do that. And, and Paul's teaching here to Timothy, his instructions, just don't, don't engage with the time wasters. It reminds me of, there's a, an old proverb that's, um, it's attributed to Mark Twain. I don't know uh, who, who actually wrote it. It's attributed to Mark Twain. He says, uh, don't wrestle with a pig because you'll both get dirty and the pig will like it. I think that's, Paul is saying, you know, there's, there's people who are going to argue and waste time and, and talk about things that don't matter until, until you've both wasted so much time that they've enjoyed and it hasn't been of any profit to you. And, and so let's keep focused on, on what's important here, Timothy. And, and so we, we, uh, as we see Paul telling Timothy to avoid those, those kinds of arguments, because nobody's going to win them. As an alternative to those conversations, Paul says, train, train yourself to be godly. And he quotes in verse 8 this trustworthy saying, and, and I think, scholars think, these trustworthy sayings, Paul comes up with a few of these through his letters to Timothy and, and Titus, actually, there's a handful of these trustworthy sayings. It's a trustworthy saying. And, and then he gives this little sort of proverbial, proverbial wisdom sentence. We think maybe these were early church known proverbs. These were, were little sayings that the early church had, like, kind of everybody knew. Kind of like a Mark Twain uh, quote, right? Like a little proverb from Mark Twain. Like, we, we've all heard these things. And so, Paul is relying on this, this shared wisdom, the shared tradition. Everybody's heard this, and then he reminds them, everybody has heard physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And what a succinct, great statement on, on how we should feel, uh, how we should think when, we're, when we feel ourselves getting lured into those conversations that are interesting, but maybe just don't matter. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to have those, those conversations, uh, but, you know, 
don't get sucked down those rabbit holes. Don't, it, it's much better to train in godliness. It's much wiser to, to train yourself to, to respond to God than to, to have those you know, stimulating econ, uh, ec, uh, academic, academic, there's the word, stimulating academic debates. You, know, you can really feel like you're doing something when you're having those really stimulating academic debates, but boy, if they don't make us more godly, is that really, really what we should be focusing on? Paul says, no, just don't, don't. Don't engage with the time wasters. Uh, he, uh, and, and so Timothy is told then in, in verse 11 uh, to, to teach, to teach and to insist that people listen and learn, insist that people learn. Uh, that's an interesting thing. As somebody who does a lot of teaching, uh, it's hard for me to insist that you learn from me. <laughs> uh, you know, I can, I can speak all day. Um, it, it, so that tells me maybe, maybe Paul is saying, like, work on your craft as a teacher. Like, if you're doing something in the, in the church uh, for, for the sake of other believers, like, make sure that, that it's profitable to the other people that are listening. Uh, insist that your teaching is is applicable and helps helps people. And then in, in verse 12, we get one of the most well-known verses uh, from the book of 1 Timothy. I saw uh, my daughter singing the song last year at her children's quizzing. Uh, we, it was one of the memory verses. She says she doesn't want to sing it up front now, and I won't make you. Uh, but we, in, in our children's quizzing, as we do memory verses, we have songs for them all. And so... Are you going to sing it? No, you're welcome. Uh, the, uh, but uh, don't look at, let anybody look down on you. Um, instead, be an example for the believers in, in speech, in conduct, in love, and in pure... Oh, in faith and in purity, 1 Timothy 4.12. And, uh, oh, Riley's got it too. Well done. A duet next week. What do we think? <laughs> The, uh, this, this passage, though, is so, so famous, so, so well-known. You would think that Timothy is like an adolescent when he, when he received this word. This is late in Paul's life. Timothy has been traveling with, with Paul and in Paul's sort of circle of influence for a couple of decades at least, and he was old enough to leave his mom and grandma and go traveling with Timothy, or with Paul, when he started all of that. He, he is not just an adolescent. And, and we know that Timothy is not really like a shrinking violet either. He's sent into Ephesus where there's some serious stuff happening and, and he is being instructed uh, to, to confront this false teaching. It, Timothy, Timothy, he's not just like this, this boy that's been set loose to, to lead this difficult church. It's an interesting thing. Paul says, though, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. It, it could mean, maybe it means, and, and what I think it probably means is that many of the false teachers were, were enough older than Timothy that they kind of said, yeah, yeah, nice work, Timothy. You know, treated him like a little brother, maybe, and just, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, go do your own thing, Timothy. The, the big boys are, we're, we're really doing the important stuff as we, as we engage in these conversations. Yeah, I, I would challenge all of you. I think uh, we can, as followers of Christ in this church and in any church, uh, we can get to a point where we think, all of us as adults, uh, that the youth, um, once they have some life experience like we do, they'll understand the things that work and don't work. Uh, and I think we have to be really careful about that uh, because I, I'm all constantly reminded about uh, the fact that we should have childlike faith, maybe as adults uh, and or older uh, adults, uh, we complicate things more than they need to be. And sometimes we just need the passion of youth. Uh, we need the simplicity of let's just do this. Um, I, I have tried to talk to multiple ministers in training. I love training uh, and mentoring pastors in our denomination. Uh, my daughter being one of those. My daughter preached her first sermon at our church in Pasco about three years ago. 
And uh, she came to me about a week afterwards, and uh, she said, Dad, I have a question. And she was standing in the doorway of my office. I said, come on in. I have a couch right here. You can sit down, and we'll talk. And uh, she's, she just kind of couldn't get it out yet. You know? And I said, what, what's going on? And she said, uh, the most memorable thing, I will never forget it. She said, um, why don't people do what you tell them to when you preach? She had an amazing sermon the Sunday before, and I think she was expecting, you know, like every person in the congregation was going to jump out of their seats, and that morning and then that week would just be this monumental week. They will have experienced Christ in a new way, and the Holy Spirit, they'll be hearing the Holy Spirit, and she just wanted to know. It, it, for her, it was just so cut and dried. Uh, I, I preached the word, and she did. She didn't preach herself. She preached the word, and people didn't do it, you know, well... I found myself saying, sometimes things are more complicated than that, and sometimes uh, there's politics, and sometimes there's so many different things in there. Um, but maybe for our audience, too, uh, uh, Paul talking to Timothy, don't let, don't let it get to you, your youth, if there's, obviously, he's addressing something. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of us who have youth below us, that maybe we're the Paul, okay, and we're working with Timothy's. Uh, it is really good for us to just stop and listen. It really is. Uh, sometimes some of the most profound things that I've learned about Christ have come from my children when they were six years old or five years old. Um, and it's just plain and simple. It's just that's the way it needs to be. Um, so maybe just a, a different way of looking at that, that verse. It's for us as well as, as elders in the church, as older folks. Uh, to not look down on the youth and the passion that they have for sharing Christ. Sometimes they just want to get past all the garbage and share Christ. And they just want to see people know Jesus. And that is the greater work, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Timothy is supposed to be someone the church cannot ignore because he lives so well. And, and you know, I think all of us have moments of, of feeling like a little bit of imposter syndrome. We all have moments where we think, oh, people people look down on me because of this, or, or people don't believe me because of this, or people look at, at this and judge me harshly. We all have those areas where we feel just a little bit like maybe we don't quite belong. And, and uh, Paul, Paul's instructions to Timothy here are, you know, don't let people look down on you just because you're young, but live in such a way, live so well that, that they they have to listen to you because you're setting an example in, in every area of life. And, and that, you know, that, uh, that applies to, from, you know, across, across the, the spectrum, across the ages, across the generations. If, if we are beginning to feel like, oh, maybe I'm not speaking well, or maybe people are dismissing me because maybe I should just consider living so well that I set an example for, for believers in each area. Paul continues this theme in verse 13. He, he wants Timothy to focus on the basics. You know, read the scriptures, encourage believers, uh, and teach believers. Uh, there's really three things that, that Timothy is supposed to do. Paul says, until I get there, until I get there, do these. It's pretty simple, Timothy. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't get sucked into the, to the endless conversations teach the scriptures, encourage believers, teach believers. That's, that's what Timothy is, is there to do. You know, in ministry and in church and, and in life, we can get distracted by good things, right? And, and I really think that's what, what Timothy is being told to avoid here is don't get sucked into, you know, like I said, what, those conversations, talking about those myths and, and those old, old tales that the, the tailors were tailing, tellers were tailing, those things they're really they're really fun you leave a meeting of those those debates and you think boy we really did something today paul says let's let's make sure that what we do helps us to to live godly lives to to train in godliness and and um and so he he continues to to just give give Timothy, these instructions to, to act according to his spiritual gifting. That, you know, this word of prophecy was spoken over you, Timothy. Don't neglect this. Don't neglect the spiritual gifting that, that you've been given. Uh, and, and then he says, 
give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourselves in, yourself into the tasks so everyone will see your progress. I love Paul's throw yourself into it, Timothy. This is not an area to, to use half measures. This is not an area of your life that you need to just give a little piece of yourself. Throw your life into what God has called you to do. Do what God has called you to do and do it with gusto. Uh, and then Paul's final words in the chapter, letting Timothy know that the stakes are high. His own salvation and the salvation of others depends on Timothy being faithful to do what God has called him to do. And uh, th this is serious, serious work, serious work. His salvation and the salvation of others depends on him, depends on him doing it. As we read this, we, we begin to get a picture of, of a pretty hard road that Timothy is supposed to walk. We, we begin to, to see Timothy's own salvation and the salvation of others depend on Timothy's work. And uh, it, it depends on him getting it right. And, and we, we begin to wonder about the amount of personal effort that, that uh, Paul expects from Timothy. And, and Timothy is, you know, Timothy is putting every, every ounce of his energy into his relationship with God and his, his work as a minister to make sure he gets it right because his salvation and other people's salvation depends on it. And as, as believers, I think in our day and age, we, we, we want to, we know that we do not save ourselves, right? And it, we understand that. We, we understand that we are totally dependent on God for our relationship with God. And, and I think there's a, maybe a quick tendency, maybe a, I, I don't know, there, I think there's a tendency to read a passage like this and say, well, yeah, but God does everything for us. Like, all we have to do is just accept it, just pray that prayer, and, and you know, we're good. Like, our salvation is, is handled because Jesus went to the cross for us, not because of anything we do. And, and that's true, it's also true that Paul calls Timothy to throw himself at the task because his salvation and other people's salvation depends on it. You know, God, God does deserve all of the glory for all that we have in a relationship with God. But the way Paul talks throughout this passage, it, it reminds us that God expects us to respond to God's grace, to decide to follow the Lord, and to keep deciding to follow the Lord. Like, it's not just a, I did that once and then I'm okay situation. And there's a verse in the passage that, that I kind of jumped over that I want to go back to. It's verse 10 in 1 Timothy uh, 4. Verse 10 says, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Paul says we struggle. Paul says we struggle. We work hard. We don't just accept Jesus' forgiveness and then sit on our couch and wait for heaven, right? That, that is not what we do. We work hard. We struggle. We work hard because staying true to the grace of God in our lives meaning, means letting the grace of God completely take over everything until all that remains is a reflection of Jesus from our lives. The, the Lord wants everything that we are, and giving up who we are and giving up our desires for God's desires, these are struggles. These are hard. These are really, really difficult things for us to do. Go ahead. Yeah, I, it's not about us. Hmm. It just isn't. Uh, and as Paul says, and as you've put, uh, the work Timothy's doing is going to present him well. He's going to live a good example. But it's his salvation and others' salvation. I've been taught that uh, the church is plan A of God's plan to get the gospel across the world. And there is no plan B because he doesn't need a plan B. He just needs the church to do what it's called to do. 
And if it's not about us, um, it's about Jesus. You know, we're try- not trying to get people to become like us. We're not trying to get them to become Nazarene. Uh, as much as I'm an elder of the Church of the Nazarene, and that would be amazing for people to, to agree. My goal is not to get all of you to agree with all of my academic, philosophical, and theological discussions. Uh, it's that you would know who Jesus is in your own life. And it, I, I think all of us, we, just, we could look at how much time is spent with churches that believe in Jesus, but argue with each other about what's important and miss the mark on getting Jesus to the people who need Jesus. We spend a lot of time and energy arguing with each other. And, and here's just a, a great outline, a great example. Um, whether you want to call it discipleship or mentorship or, or just the plan for the church, uh, share the gospel. I mean, he, Paul says to Timothy to preach scripture, okay? Share the gospel. Share Jesus with someone. Uh, work on yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we do that by understanding we're all a Timothy. We all need a Paul. We need someone who, unfortunately, we just don't know it all, and neither does the Paul above us, but we need somebody who can take the journey with us. And then to fulfill that discipleship and the church being plan A and no, not needing a plan B, we all need a Timothy in our life. Because no matter how much or how little you know about the gospel, you have truth that you can share with someone that has less than you do about the gospel, about Jesus. Uh, so that work, that ongoing work of just furthering what Paul set forth right here, mm-hmm. just furthering this model of mentorship, discipleship, however you want to say it, legacy, um, stirring each other on and pointing towards Jesus as the most important thing. Uh, it's a call that we all have. I mean, Timothy was called to be a, a leader in the church, and not every single one of you is. I mean, we've got a couple, four right now, and some retired elders. Um, and, you know, I would say I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy because we all kind of know what we go through. Uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, being right at the center of where God has called you to be, there's no better place to be, you know? So we press on. Yeah, yeah. we struggle, struggle. we don't stop. The, the task of creating you uh, to be who God created you to be, uh, it requires your full attention. Mm-hmm. It requires your full attention. But, but remember what Paul says in, at the end of verse 10, our hope is the living God who is the savior of all people, particularly of all believers. We don't work hard because we have a hope that, boy, I'm really good. I'm going to be able to change myself and be just like Jesus if I work really hard on me. Our hope of becoming like Jesus comes because we work really hard to get close to Jesus. And Jesus begins to shape us to look more and more like Jesus. I, um, when I was in in. Uh, my first church, I bought a 69 Ford F-250 pickup, uh, and uh, it, was, it was not transportation, it was, it was a hobby, and uh, it, it turned into more of a hobby every time I tried to use it as transportation. Fix or repair daily? Yeah, yeah, I love Ford, so I'm not going to acknowledge that, but... Oh, okay. So it was a cool pickup. It had, somebody had put some, some time and effort into the motor in it. It sounded real mean when it ran, and it was, it was really fun. We really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, uh, especially when it didn't strand us anywhere. I, I tinkered on it a lot. You know, I, I, was, I was trying to learn as best I could to be a mechanic on Ford engines and reading. That, YouTube hadn't quite become what it is now, and so I was reading on forums, you know, all of the ways that I should tune this thing up and work on it. And, and I, was, I was learning a thing or two. I could usually get it running if it would stop running. Uh, but I had a couple of buddies, the guys in the church, that, that were great mechanics, like just really, really good mechanics. And so every once in a while, I would just like, you know, could you just lift the hood of my pickup and listen to it? And they would listen to it. And after, you know, 20 minutes of tinkering, it would run better than it had run in months for about a month, uh, and then it would be, you know, another, another. <laughs> but, but we're not talking about. Folks. Anyway, <laughs> praise God. The uh, 
the, the, the illustration I see, though, like, I was doing my best, but I wasn't the master. I wasn't the master mechanic. When, when the master mechanic comes, like, things get put to right quickly and, and a lot more easily. You know, I was, I was doing some things right, but man, if I really wanted that thing to, to hum, I needed somebody that could get the timing right, and that was way outside of my ability to, as a mechanic. And, and our, our spiritual life is the same. Like, we, we work on us. We work on us. We work hard on us because the project of becoming who God has created us to be, it is worth our effort. It is worth our energy. But man, it is so much more fun and easy and interesting and, and worthwhile when we trust God to do what God will do. And so we put ourselves in the way of God's grace. We, we open scripture and we, we read the Bible. We pray. We gather with other believers and, and pray for one another. We worship together and, and we anticipate, not only do we do all those things, but we anticipate that, you know, it's not always going to be a bed of roses. And we prepare our hearts for the reality that even in the good times, the Lord, the Lord has not promised us a bed of roses. The Lord has not promised us easy, easy life all the way along. And, and so we prepare in our hearts for how we're going to overcome the next obstacle for how we're going to be ready and how we're going to be stronger when the enemy comes at us the next time and how we're going to be prepared to, to live this life that God has called us to live uh, one more day, uh, one more week. And so uh, we're, we're getting toward the end. We're going to sing one more worship song. But I just encourage you to, to start reflecting. What is it, where is it this week that, that the Lord is calling you to do a little bit of tinkering in your life? Where is the Lord calling you? Where are you not throwing yourself into it? And, and the Lord has said, it's worthwhile to throw yourself into the work of becoming who, who God is creating you to be. It is worthwhile. And so how are you, how are you throw, where, where, what area of your life, where is it that you need to throw yourself into it this week and say, all that I am, all that I am, every Everywhere I, I am, every part of me is, is going to belong to the Lord. I'm going to just let the Lord do what the Lord sees fit with it. Why don't you let me pray for you as our worship team comes. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you uh, for, for this opportunity to, to be in your presence today. Uh, God, we, uh, we thank you for your word it is so rich, and we've been drinking from a fire hose uh, for an hour now uh, from First Timothy chapter 4, and, and we could just keep going, learning more and understanding better uh, what you have for us as, as your sons and daughters. Uh, but Lord, what, what we really want is to, to move on and to throw ourselves at it. And so here we go, Lord. Here we go into a new week, into a, to a, a new day that you've given us, and we pray, God, that you would, you would help us, that as we throw ourselves to, into the work, as we struggle and work hard to experience your grace and to receive from your spirit, Lord, we, we pray that we would see your hand at work. We pray that we would, we would see those, those hard edges in our character that you are, you are filing down. That we would see those, those relationships that you are calling us to, to seek reconciliation and wholeness. We would see how you are working to, to bring about in our own hearts what is right and good, where we have a desire to, sometimes, Lord, we, we have a desire to, to go in directions that don't help us become more godly. And so, God, we, we offer ourselves to you, to let you, Lord, speak and, uh, and mold us and make us the people you've called us to be. 
we know that your picture of us is better than any picture of ourselves we could, we could come up with. So God, we, we pray that you would do that good work. <laughs> and with hope, we, we give you our, our hearts and lives. We say thank you for what you could, you could do with even us, Lord. We pray these things in the powerful name of the one who is our Savior and our only hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.